Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I'm excited to have this time with Corey Quinn, the musician who composed the music for the audio drama Meant to Be in episodes two and three of this podcast. Today you'll hear his experience as a transracial adoptee and how music saved him as a black child being raised by white parents. I met Corey through social media on Instagram over a year ago and instantly connected with his creative abilities. I asked him if he would compose the music for an audio drama and he created four beautiful songs. Pushing Through the Trauma, which is the theme, Breath of Fresh Air, Detective Sister Girl, and Sad But Noble Beginnings. Corey reminds me of just how important it is to stay connected to the younger generation in the adoption community and how transracial adoptees have an added layer of challenges being separated from their original family. He refers to me as a big sister or a mother-like figure, and I embrace that with much love. Corey, I'm so glad you're taking this time to talk with me today. We'll just pretend like only one other person is listening in on our conversation. That way, <laughs> okay. I won't be so nervous thinking about <laughs> a worldwide podcast. So, Corey Quinn, tell us about yourself. Well, I was born in Detroit, and I was adopted through Children's Aid, or it was, or it may have been another adoption agency. Whoever they are, they're no longer there. And I was raised in Dearborn Heights, and I was raised in an all-white community, went to all-white schools, had all-white friends. And I've been uh, mostly involved with music. Because a lot of times, you know, an adoptee's life uh, seems like you spend so much time being grateful that you can't really express your true emotions. So I took to the piano and composing music. That was like a great way for me to really uh, release my emotions. So my childhood, my family, they were great, but there were certain things that they couldn't really understand about being a black man in a white family. So I do music, play the piano. I started playing the piano because they took me to a Catholic mass and I started memorizing the music and played it there with, you know, only, I think about five years old. And I just developed a passion and love for music. Uh, I'm a very art, artsy person. I was adopted by myself. I was, wasn't adopted with any of my other biological siblings. In fact, I didn't know I had any other biological siblings until later. And uh, yeah, and so that's that's kind of what I do. I write songs. I enjoy just uh, the whole aspect of music. And uh, now I try and uh, connect with other adoptees like yourself uh, as a community and try and get the message out that we can't spend our life pleasing others. We have to be true to ourselves. And we can't always do that if we're being grateful 100% of the time. It's good to be grateful sometimes, but then again, it's good to talk about what's on your mind. Abs- so, um, yeah, lot- absolutely. Yeah, 
yeah, you know, I know you, I know you know completely. <laughs> yeah, and you and know, I'll... we've talked about uh, the fact that in the adoption community, it doesn't, it's not like we have to fit in. It's like we just belong, mm-hmm. and something yeah. is really nice about belonging versus fitting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we don't normally experience all the time. And it's just so good to meet other adoptees that will do the same things that we do. For sure. It's just it's just, it's just so rare for us because we spend a lot of time. We know that you're our parents on paper, but there's still that part in the back of our mind, like, what does our biological family look like? What do people who are my blood look like? Do they look exactly like me? I hear that a lot from so many other adoptees. Oh, yeah, you know, that mirroring, look... yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, that goes through a lot of people's minds. Like, they just want to see someone that looks like them because they see other families with, you know, and then they spend so much of their time not looking like anybody. I mean, those who know they're adopted. I can't speak for everybody, but. Right, yeah. yeah. And I know, so, like, I grew up in a family where I fit in. I looked a mm-hmm. lot like my adoptive, like I could be from that family, but as an adoptee, I That's awesome. Yeah, in a way it is, but you know, like when people say, which I got a lot, oh, I knew that was your cousin, and I'm thinking, no, that's not why, (laughs) we just happen to look alike. But for you, (laughs) as a transracial adoptee, it's like in your face every day, because you're black and they're white, and through you and other transracial adoptees, I've learned so much about mm-hmm. that experience. You don't have an opportunity for it not to be I'm adopted. Tell me how, it, how it's that... Consti- yeah, but it's constantly in our faces. Like, uh, we we can't pretend like it's something else. It's like, it's like since we're transracial adoptees, it's like, we love our adoptive family, but we, we know we're different. We right. <laughs> With my adoptive family, they played the kind of colorblind trick, I guess... I think they had the best of intentions, but I don't think they realized how kind of much of a damage the whole colorblind thing, in my opinion, really does. Because I think they wanted to seem like, hey, we're not racist and all that. But I think you have to acknowledge a person for their culture. It's my own personal opinion, because that's part of who they are. If you ignore their ethnicity, you're kind of ignoring a part of them. I just wish my... adoptive uh, family would have shared in my culture like I did theirs. You know, I went to St. Patrick's Day. I did everything in Irish. I mean, everything. And mm. it just didn't seem like they returned the effort. Right. So did, yeah, did you so. ever have a conversation about that with them? Oh, yeah, tons. I think it's like my, my adoptive father is uh, trying now. But uh, I'm a grown adult, you know, I'm 38 years old. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really need you you to try anymore. I needed it when I was younger. I desperately needed it, but you didn't want to pay attention to any black culture. And I'm not. I'm not saying they had the word dashiki and they had to, you know, <laughs> they fight the power. Just just a little, just a little bit of effort. I mean, they. I mean, they don't even. I'll give you an example. If anything would happen in the news, any violence, uh, that we would just like, not never talk about it. We would never talk about any racist incidents, even when it happened to me. Mm. when it happened to me, I kind of had to push my case. I had to, I felt like a lawyer. I had to prove to them that it happened to me. And even the two times in my life that my adoptive father stood up for me when there was a racist incident, it felt like he was reading off a script. It it didn't feel like his heart was in it. I just completely closed down emotionally. 
and I stopped talking about them about incidents that happened to me, and that's where I went to music. So I poured all my emotion into music, you know, it goes back to the piano. I stopped going to my adopted parents whenever I felt like I had to deal with any cultural incidents being in the white community because I felt like I had to push my case to them. I had to prove like a lawyer that something happened, you know, to me. And I just got tired of doing that. So I just basically shut down and didn't go to them for anything and just went right to the piano. So about how old were you? Do you remember? Let's see. The first time I was at... I think it was, uh, I mean, it might have happened earlier, but this was like the, the first, like, notable time. I think I was like either like 11 or 12. Oh, yeah. And I was at like some camp, outside camp retreat. Some white boy called me the N-word, and I went to go tell my adoptive father. And, uh, you know, at first he kind of played it off. And I just went silent. And then he finally confronted the boys. And then the boys just made up a lie saying that I called them something back, even though I was too young and immature to do that. Right. And uh, then my adoptive father just kind of gave me an angry look like, oh, well, I, like I tried and you said something against them. It felt like the media protecting police that are violent, it felt like white people could do no wrong. And I felt like I needed to be a lawyer to plead my case. And that's really sad, uh, I, you know, so I, I just gave up. Yeah, that is that is sad. Yeah. and. And it sounds like what you wish adoptive parents of transracial adoptees knew, particularly based on your experience, is it's important to be your child's ally. Like, yes, yes. Like, that's so critical. Yes, yes. Just to have my back, even if, okay, I, I do some wrong in the situation, just to have my back. And then when I get home, then talk, you know, you right. then talk about it. Yeah. yeah. So and I, 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 oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then the other thing, too, you, you going in support of all the things that are white and not mm -hmm. that not being reciprocated, that's important that you were allowed to do, like you say, you don't have to wear a dashiki, but certainly right. you should be allowing me to partake in Black experiences or things that the Black community are... Exactly. I mean, yeah. And and you could at least, I mean, I, it feels like that my doctor father is playing catch-up now because he feels guilty. Mm. Guilt and empathy are two different things. Yeah. For instance, I was totally in Irish culture when I went to St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I was featured in the Irish book for playing Danny Boy at AJ's cafe function. I'm actually noted in a book for participating in Irish culture. And it just didn't seem like 
they returned. And I'm talking about, when I say they, I mean my whole adoptive family. Wow. Uh, two brothers, three sisters, even cousins. Many, 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 many Irish cousins. None of them really had any interest in participating in anything black or walking the path with me. So I, just, I, I, I isolated myself a lot. And I think a lot of adoptees isolate themselves, too. I you don't have to be so. transracial. But. Now, let me ask you this. Have you had sure. an occasion to watch This Is Us, that program uh, that has a transracial adoptee? No, I haven't. Okay. That's a pretty big topic in some of the circles that I'm in as it relates mm-hmm. to how well they're doing to portray Randall is his name. Yeah. He's a black child raised by white parents and, and his mm-hmm. siblings are white. So the community as as a whole seems to think that they're getting it right. And that's why mm-hmm. I was wondering if you had watched it and what your thoughts were. Well, no, I haven't even heard of it. I'm, I'm very interested. I'm going to watch it after I get done talking with you. The only thing is I, I just got to be very careful because... Uh, I have a thick skin, but there's one thing that triggers me, and that's like a lot of adoptee things. If I feel like they're not telling our story correctly or they're giving us just a, a cheap expression, I get triggered. Yeah, because it's do. Yep, this is because it's what we live, and it's it's what we have to live. It's our survival. It's it's what we go through every day. If they're not taking it 100 percent seriously, because that's our lives, I get very triggered. So I'm very careful about any of the adoptive things that I watch. That That's yeah. smart. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there are things that trigger me or activate feelings in me, too, when they get it wrong or I don't yeah. agree with how they're... Because pre- we still believe that the narrative is still, like, focused on what adoptive parents think. Like, that's yeah. still the, the top of the narrative, like, altruistic mm-hmm. and... You know, these Mm -hmm. saviors. That's why I think it's so important for adoptees. We have to speak up. We have to come out and just be clear about what our experiences are so people do know. Because I know a lot of people over the last 10 years or so that I've been formally connected to the adoption community. Mm -hmm. uh, It's like they didn't know. Like, people were like, oh, I didn't know you couldn't get your original birth certificate. Or... Oh, yeah. You're yeah. like, I, you're kidding me. You kind of like things... Th- and that's <laughs> because they weren't hearing that narrative. They were just hearing right. people adopting children because they didn't have anybody to take mm-hmm. care of them. They couldn't remain with their original families and, and what have you. So, like, in a few words, what comes to mind about people never separated from their original family like what do you, what comes to your mind when you when you think a lot of uh, a lot of sadness and pain like i can't walk by a barbecue in a park and just see a black family having a barbecue because that triggers i like your word better activate that activates some, a depression yeah. i just get a lot of a lot of sadness it, it, it's like the only thing i can say it's just a lot of pain and it's not it's like a deep pain in your chest and it, and, and it can ruin uh, my day and and I should be happy seeing families together, but I just <laughs> right. I think about what could have been for myself, and I, I I don't mind to sound selfish, but it's just I get into a sadness because I think well you know I I may never have that yeah so yeah I I get that too I know what you're exactly what you're talking about because sometimes I know growing up especially I would see. 
Like, a lot of my friends, they look just like their siblings and look just like their yeah. mother and father. They just didn't have what we deal with in terms of yeah. not having... I had really good parents, and I, I didn't mm-hmm. want for anything. And yet, that's big to be not with your tribe. Like, that's, that's yeah. big stuff, you know? So Yeah, it really is. And you're reminded. You're reminded when you look at families, the barbecues and the reunions and all the... All the occasions, you're constantly reminded because you know, like even my cousins, who I'm really close with, that I grew up with, they all look alike. You know, so when we're over at the house for the barbecue, like, I'm like, man, they were able to remain with their tribe. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I I know exactly what you mean. And and one of the worst parts for me is, is the whole grandfather, grandmother not having them. Because they're in charge of passing down the legacy to you. They tell you about the old days. They give you stories about who they were, who their grandparents were. And that kind of puts you into the flow of time. I know in uh, African culture, that's extremely important that you're able to put yourself into, they call it the flow of time. It's just like a grandfather passing it down to the grandson and so on and so on. It's generational. And it feels like that my lineage has been cut with my adoption. That's, that's what it feels like. Yeah. And, you know, I think as far as transracial adoptees, I've heard many say that there is this particularly black adoptees raised by white parents that they Mm -hmm. don't like, how do I put this? This white privilege they have as long as they're with their parents. Am I saying that right? Like... Yeah, like there's. A- yeah, no, you're you're saying you're saying that exactly right, and okay. there's some and there's some problems with that. Uh, yes, you get you get a certain white privilege, but that ends like exactly what you said when you when you it's got it can't last forever. Basically, when you, because you have to go off on your own, you have to be an adult, right. and uh, so I guess sometimes like other black people, at least in my experience, have resented that I've had that white privilege, mm-hmm. and uh, they resented me. Like I had, like I had something to do with it. I was just adopted, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think sometimes I feel like black adoptees a lot of times have a hard time feeling fitting in with the black community. Yeah, let's and, talk uh, about that. Let's talk about the how and what's been your experience with that. Yes, I. When I was young, whenever I meet black people, I would automatically just tell them that I was bo- adopted. And have a whole white family, but that was before I knew basically kind of like not all, not everybody, but how like there's there's some jealousy because I guess they hear that I was adopted by white people and they think that I was sleeping on rainbows and <laughs> you know wow, yeah, and even with the perceived privilege, I mean there there's issues. I mean there's isolation. There's you still don't belong or feel like you belong even within the family. Oh, let me put it to you like this. It's like a work conversation. You know the conversations you have at work, like, you know, how's the weather? Oh, it's doing oh, it's doing good. Have you seen that sports game? Well, imagine having a whole life of conversation like that and rarely speaking of anything deep. Mm. Uh, and, and that'll drive someone crazy because with a family, they have to speak about at least some things deep. Where did I come from? Did you know my biological parents? Did you know their medical whatever? And so back to the point, black people, 
they see that you're with white people and they think that, oh, you have not a care in the world and no source of pain. And that's just not true. But there's no way they could understand unless they live with them as well. So I can kind of understand where they're coming from. But you don't always fit in and you you want to desperately. You need the community like, hey, hey you're my people. Right. <laughs> but but you're, you you don't really feel like you connect with, with them 100 percent. There's there's definitely some distance. And you know that's a shame. Mm hmm. And, yeah. and when I would hear adoptees say, I didn't really know uh, about black culture until I went to college. And I was intentional to go to yeah. a black college. So I'm thinking, wow, by 18, 19, you're just yeah. learning about being black. Like, that just sounds so exactly. heartbreaking. I, that, that's my story, exactly. That's why I became an Africana Studies major. I tried to play catch up. I'm going to say something that I never really said to anybody else. You kind of take on characteristics. I remember saying that I wish I were white, that I, I was actually kind of afraid of black people. And then now as an adult, I look back that my mind was seriously kind of damaged. Mm -hmm. uh, pick that up. I like that they have those thoughts about my own people. Mm -hmm. And uh, but what do you expect when you grow up with the white community, go to all white school? I was the only black guy in my whole grade school for such a long time. I was uh, white was all I knew. White, white, like friends. White. I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. I even went. I only went to a black store when I was like well, 14 years old. Wow, that's. I was, Yes, I was completely whitewashed. Yes, mm. yes. So I remember you telling me about being on that that Oprah Winfrey show, and I, you know, I watched mm -hmm. Oprah all the time back then. So mm -hmm. I know I saw that show, and then when I was reminded when I watched the clip on YouTube, what do you remember about that experience? I know you were so young. Okay, well, well, sure. The Oprah Winfrey show. I was in the back room. This is the only thing I remember because I guess. They didn't want my biological family to see me, or I guess that's the reason that they gave why I couldn't actually physically be on the camera on the show. But I was in the back room eating croissants and danishes with uh, some random black gentleman. I don't know who he was. But we were invited to be on the Oprah Winfrey show after my parents sued the state for taking me out of their home. Because the state removed me out of their home, they say, for race reasons. And so they sued the state to bring me back into the home. And then Oprah wanted to interview them for everything that's happened. I guess when they took me from the home, I guess that was pretty traumatic. At least that's what my adoptive family told me. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, Oprah wanted to interview. And there was that transracial adoptee episode in 1985. Mm -hmm. They had some black social workers. And then they had, let's see, adoptive, pro-adoptive social worker. And so we were invited. But Oprah called again 18 years later, and my adoptive father said we weren't interested in being on our show without even consulting me. Mm. And that, that just tore me, because he knew I would speak the truth. He knew, he told me after the fact. And they wanted to see how I've been. They right. wanted to, you know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, so his, show, his show contacted us. I never gave forgave my adoptive father. Forget that because it's almost kind of like he's taken away my voice. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I um. I want to go back just for a minute and thank you for sharing sure. that, that piece about being whitewashed 
like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that... I just appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that. It's not its not something I like to admit, but it's, I mean, I can't lie about it. I, I like to talk about it because it's just a fact of something that happens. Yeah. It, 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 it does. I mean, that's the result of having a black child isolated and everything white. I mean, how could that not happen? I mean, it, you see what you know, you kind of become your environment. Exactly. And then, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I have heard other transracial adoptees say that. And and it just makes sense, and and that's sad. Yeah, and it's almost like it's not exactly like the movie Get Out because that was like you know, that was like extreme, but it's like a milder version. Of, it's right? Like, yeah, it's like a, get out. It's like a milder version of that because you spend a lot of time trying to rescue your mind and like, okay, how do I be myself? And just now, at the age of thirty-eight, I'm just getting comfortable being myself to where. I'm not being a people pleaser anymore, but that's that's a long time. It should have been a lot earlier. Yeah. So I love your post on Instagram, and, and I know that's how we connected. And I just yeah. remember from the very beginning, I was like, this guy, like, you just made me, <laughs> <laughs> you just made me smile every time I would um, play your video or you would, ha- you know, would just share how you were feeling. Because you, to me are so great at being real. like Thank you so much. Yes, transparent. And and I tell people all the time, the beauty of people that do that, it gives other people permission. It's like now you say, Mm -hmm. that person can do it, I can do it too. You know, like, and, and we all need permission to just be ourselves because it's just too heavy. Yeah, you know, just too heavy trying to fit in and trying, you know, to get people to whatever about us think whatever. Like that's just be yourself, and 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 it allows other people to do the same. So I just appreciate that about you. And and even when you're sharing something that might be heavy or something, for some reason it's like. I still feel like everything's going to be okay. I just still yeah. feel that way. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, and your music. When you first played Detective Sister Girl, <laughs> I just put my hands on my heart because I said, he's got it. I hope he can do the songs for season one, you know, and you so graciously and willingly did. You did it so fast. So see, I know that just shows how good you are. And ev- all four of those songs, even though I, I'm going to play them in this episode from beginning to end if I can, because okay. I want people to hear the whole song for the play, for the, the story meant to be, you, it's in and out, you know, because, of course, it's it's not about music per se. I, I want people to know those songs, and so I want them to know how to find you. I know you're on, um, you've got a YouTube channel, so just tell, yeah. tell us how to connect with you okay you find me on bandcamp Corey gold waves at bandcamp that's just a lot of my songs for sale but just like my personal struggle a lot of my stuff as you said is on instagram that's Corey wins that's Corey and then wins with a z on instagram and youtube just look up Corey gold waves i have a lot of my stuff on there i have a blog channel and a music channel you can find me there, and I have my own my blog. I haven't been on there in a while. It's called Water Flyer, and that's my blog. And so, yeah, I just I put a lot of my stuff up up on there. 
And, you know, I love the titles of the songs. Pushing Through the Trauma, Breath of Fresh Air, Sad But Noble Beginnings. Those titles are amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Sharing part of my soul, and I really appreciate that you like myself. That's you give me the strength to keep creating, even though like just around where I live, I really don't feel like I get any recognition from my adopted family. But from adoptees like you, you you keep me going. You you keep me strong. Well, you keep me strong too, and I I love the adoption community. We all have our individual stories, but every last one of them means so much to me. I never get tired of hearing an adoptee's experience and their journey. So mm. I, I thank you for this time today. Sure. And it's been great. And, and maybe you'll come back on for another episode. I get questions from people all the time. And so I am going to shape this podcast based on like audience driven, like what people, what they want to know more about or what just resonated with them. Sure. So, yeah. And I just want everybody listening, you got to listen, you got to watch him play. Like, to watch Corey play <laughs> is just, it really is. Sometimes I'll just go to YouTube and just watch him. And I've heard it and watched it many times before, but it, it's it's soothing to me. I guess that's the word I would use. It's very soothing. You play beautifully. And, and see, Corey, you're so charismatic. I think that's the other thing, and it comes through. So you, you, everybody, check them out on Instagram too. Is there anything else you want to say that maybe I didn't ask, or? I just want to say that to all you adoptees, I know sometimes you feel like no one cares what you're going through, that no one can understand, that you know you see everybody else having people that look like them, and you feel like the black sheep. But you know, just keep holding on, just keep connecting with other adoptees. Uh, I'd love to leave with, you know, uh, just a message of strength and encouragement because some days I feel like I can't carry on. But I think we as an adoptee community, we can help each other. And I think we adoptees are such beautiful and strong people. That that was beautifully said, and I couldn't agree more. I think every time I connect with adoptees, I just feel I feel good. I I know I I belong, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't have Mm -hmm. to fit in. I don't have to, you know, we don't. We just don't have to do that when we're with each right. other and when we share and engage with each other. And that's the key, just to keep keep in contact with one another through social mm-hmm. media. This has been a therapy session now <laughs> that I really needed. So For me too. Yeah, I get a lot of healing. <laughs> same, same here.
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Corey Quinn and listening to the full version of his song, Detective Sister Girl. As a transracial adoptee, he shed so much light on his experience being a Black person raised by white parents. One of my biggest takeaways from Corey's transparency is his adaptation to adoptive family culture with little or no consideration of providing him with a semblance of what would have been his culture had he remained with his original family. Like many adoptees, he continues to navigate the impact that loss has had on his life. Both Corey and I believe music has been a tremendous blessing in our toolbox to soothe and inspire us through the years. No doubt it will continue to do that from here and beyond. I cheer Mr. Corey Quinn, the talented musician and lovable adoptee. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review, subscribe, give a rating, tell a friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land.